Ladies and gentlemen, it is now time for our final panel of the day. We now, during the next hour, want to attempt to take a look back from the future and define sustainability. If you are in the business of mainstreaming sustainable fashion, then you can probably lean back and be proud in some ways. At least you could look back and be satisfied with the dynamics of the last year. When the green showroom, the Neonit predecessor, was founded 10 and a half years ago, the time was right for a lot of different actors to align and set themselves some pretty ambitious sustainability goals. Um, and the attempt was there to make these marketable, to somehow make these mainstream. And now it seems we have reached that mainstream marketability. In 2019, there's hardly a single brand out there that's not talking about how they have either already always been or just about to become super sustainable. So let's look at those ambitions and standards and try to look behind the glossy marketing campaigns to define what sustainability means when every brand seems to be able to enjoy their 15 minutes of sustainability fame. Please welcome our guests for this panel. I'm very excited to have them on stage. Um, we have Kate Heine, who's the Director for Corporate Social Responsibility at Salando. Please give her a big round of applause. We have Rebecca Freitag, who is currently the UN Youth Ambassador for Sustainable Development, representing the interests of the young generation at the UN conferences and in the SDG process. Welcome. We have with us Melissa Dreyer, who brings to the panel over 40 years of journalistic experience in the fashion industry. A big round of applause. And last but not least, we have Antonio Braz Costa, who's general manager at Citive, a research and consulting organization for the circular economy, and also somebody who brings a lot of technical knowledge to this panel, as he used to be um, CEO and board member at the Center of Nanotechnology and Smart Materials. Welcome to all of you. It's great to have you here. We have um, the last half year, the last new need and this year need reflected a little bit, looking back on this past decade and everything that's changed. And now I would like to invite you to engage with me on a little bit of a time travel. I would like you all to imagine, you also, you're invited on this time travel. I would like you to imagine that we're in the year 2030, so 10 years from now, another decade ahead. And I'd like you to tell me what does sustainable fashion mean in 2030? Where are we at today? Who would like to attempt a first stab? Is this on? Okay, great. If I go first, maybe I get uh, to give the simplest answer and everyone else can, can add. Uh, in 2030, um, for Zalando, but I also think more broadly, one, we will have consistency around what does sustainability mean. Uh, I think the way that, that this talk has been prefaced is that sustainability has, um, has been growing and our, it's a snowball effect and we're gaining momentum, et cetera. In 2030, I, I truly hope that we have consistent ways of measuring and speaking about and communicating what sustainability means. 
Um, and we can talk about the steps to, to kind of get there. Additionally, I would say that in 2030, uh, as our climate science says, we have to have um, be halfway, our, our, we have to decarbonize by about 50% of um, the emissions that we have right now. So my plan is that we will be there. Would you like to go next? Uh, good afternoon, everyone. I think that in 2030, the word sustainability will be no more used. <laughs> uh, why? Because um, I think that this decade is uh, definitely a decade to change everything um, on the way we see industry and consumption. So in 2030, everything must and will be sustainable, in my point of view. But at the same time, I think in 10 years, we must reconsider our intervention on the planet. We have huge challenges from now to 2030 to reach the zero impact. But then we have a huge work to solve the problems we generated in the last decades. So um, these are two objectives to balance our comfort, to balance our expectations from fashion with sustainability, and then take a look to the past and heal all the damages we, we as a community um, put on the, the, the planet in the, in the last centuries, maybe. Mm -hmm. Minister, how about you? It's 2030, where are we today? I frankly don't know. I mean, I see it as a long, long road to go. Um, what I hope, because I think it is a sustainable aspect that is missing, is that we actually get some fashion or sh some design or some content into sustainable apparel. Right now we have sustainable stuff. And the more stuff we have, and it's the stuff that's been helping pollute our universe, the more stuff we have, the more meaningless it is. So that we have to start really focusing on making meaningful products. I'm not talking about smart products. I'm not talking about... I'm talking about products that meet, meet both needs and desires. And um, basically, if we don't come up with a new way of responsible consumerism, we're not going to be anywhere. So the positive formulation would be in the 20 year 2030, we have become these uh, conscientious consumers and have changed our minds. <laughs> we all know it's difficult. Rebecca, have yeah. we reached, have we achieved all the SDGs by the year 2030? <laughs> of course we have, and I'm happy about that because looking back in 2020, you know, 10 years before, imagine all the companies talked about sustainability, but who were we truly sustainable? I mean, the fashion industry back then was the second largest um, source of emission worldwide. I mean, that's crazy. And I'm really happy that we have solved that problem, that we only produce what we need, that we've gone back to local expertise and local knowledge and local markets, um, that we have taken away the, the speed, the tempo of the fashion industry. And um, yeah, that we have solved the seven or achieved the 17 sustainable development goals. 
Thank you so much. I definitely want to be living in that future. So um, consumer attitude, um, that was a key factor that was mentioned by the two of you, something that will have changed and was also part of your answer in the sense that sustainability will not be a marketing focus anymore because we won't need it. It will have gone out of it. What other key factors, like on this step, uh, stepping stones in the next 10 years that are going to lead us to that? If you think of... Um, technologies, regulatory mechanisms, other factors that change. Maybe it's just burning forests around the world and air we can't breathe. What is going to actually help change that mindset? And what are the key factors in the next 10 years? I can start. And um, I, I actually think I really love your, your answer to the first question about there will be no sustainability. Because I think Surprisingly enough, perhaps, I feel like our answers are very similar, where I say, I think that we will have a consistent way of communicating about measuring and communicating sustainability, but maybe it's not called sustainability. So I, I fully agree with, with your, your response there as well. And I think what, what is needed there is exactly that, which is we don't have um, a... So from a consumer or a retailer or a brand perspective... Um, the, the ways that we are measuring the sustainability impacts of the products that are created and how we're able to communicate that today is not consistent. Consumers have a hard time finding how, um, how to be able to compare one shirt to another in terms of sustainability impact. Um, and the way that a stepping stone on the way to getting to that future we are a part of the Sustainable Apparel Coalition, which is a, a membership organization. I believe actually there's an event tomorrow afternoon to dig into a lot of the detail that they're leading a session on. One of the key outputs of that organization and the apparel industry has rallied around is the creation of an industry um, way of a, a consistent measurement of sustainability impacts in the way that products are designed and created um, and uh, marketed and sold and used. And what is coming from that is a consistent way to compare and communicate that information. Maybe we won't call it sustainability, but we will be able then to be able to share what our customer is looking for in terms of that information in a way that is understandable and people can look at it and say, oh, I understand what that means. And therefore, I can make a choice that identifies what might um, be in 2030 a better product or a better system. So collaboration, consistency in measurement, and consistency in communication. Yeah, um, I must say that uh, communication and marketing around sustainability is, is crucial now. Why? Because, you know, um, I heard from the 70s uh, concerns about petrol, concerns about how we use these kind of resources. But during decades, nothing happened. As you, we, we can realize now, in five years long, the concept of sustainability and the concerns about that and the actions from brands, from uh, um, uh, organizations and so on, scientific community as well, grew a lot. And maybe we have nowadays now on it and this conference because 
the communication about the concerns and the communication about the responsibility of organizations on that was communicated in a, I must say, a good way. But in the future, the inconsistency between the, the speech and the practice must be reduced. And from my point of view, the key point is industry. Because we can communicate from brands. We can change our minds as consumers. But if we don't have technology, we don't have knowledge to change how industry produces products, we cannot reach our objective. So let, maybe just let me dig in there just very quickly. If that is the case, do you see particular types of emerging technologies being important to create the base for that change? Are there specific things that you're looking at currently uh, give you that hope? Yeah. Um, I am in 2030, but I cannot... I, I don't remember the right <laughs> technologies. Yeah, it's very difficult because um, several kinds of technologies are, are, develop, are developed now. Um, sustainability is is now a business. The more developed countries are trying to find solutions to have a good market on that. Yeah, but I think that several kinds of technologies, from chemical technology, physics technologies, or whatever, are important to create new ways to produce garment. I'm certain of one thing. People, consumers, don't accept bad products. We need comfortable products, nice products, performant products, and we have to combine the right way to produce these products with the requirements from the consumers. Without this point, I think that's impossible to reach the sustainability. Why? Because you, as consumers, if you go to a shop, and you have two products. One product has a color fastness, a good color fastness, and the other one, a bad color fastness, the second one is more sustainable. But you will certainly opt by the first one. So, the, returning to, to technology, not mention exactly what kind of technologies, but I'm certain that we must pressure on science research, development, innovation on, the, on this point. And for this, I conclude, <laughs> sorry. For this, I think that um, in 2030, it will be nice for me to make the, 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 uh, a, look, um, um, uh, a look to the last decade and to consider that we had the courage to impose some rules to science and technology. In my point of view, all the programs to support research and development must have this kind of label. Without a sustainable approach for research, no money for that. Particularly any kind of public corporations, or, but also private sector R&D, you mean 
Okay, I think that's a very concrete thing. There was a stepping stone to that brighter future. Let's complete the circle before we go back to the now. What do you think are the key elements that brought about that mindset change? I mean, I think I'm, I'm the type of person who's critical when people talk the talk, when there's no content, but getting the words out there, getting the thoughts out there, getting us to start to think about things is imperative. Um, I mean, I've been at this conference for the last 30 minutes, and in those 30 minutes, um, I already learned things that put me in a far more optimistic frame of mind. Ideas about um, just the simple use of filters, really improving um, the working conditions that are, that are normal in the apparel industry due to harmful finishing practices that are part one of the main areas, I think, of change that need to happen. We also learned about new, new plant-based fibers. This, to me, is fascinating. Um, and we have to remember that the textile industry, which are a lot of small companies, too, have been doing this kind of research on their own. Um, I know the designers, the smaller people who are looking for sustainable fabric. It is really tough, especially if you want uh, a more attractive fabric. And so that, for me, is also the kind of research that's really important. But I think we need a general mind change. Rebecca. Yeah, I, I hear that a lot. We have to change our mindset. And then we talk about technology. And um, I'm really sorry to say, but we cannot rely solely on technological change. Um, a real mind shift of mindset means we have to be more radical. We have to think in cycles. We cannot just substitute material A with material B or technology A with technology B. Um, so what that means is... Um, also, in terms of business, um, we have to change the, the approach. We should not be a company that contribute to the throwaway culture that we're living in right now. Instead, we have to ask ourselves, how can we be a company that contribute to a sustainability in the true sense, in the sense of how can we create a product that we um, want to sustain for as long as possible so and still become or still stay market leader. And I think both is actually possible. Uh, for example, there is a carpet producer, it's called Interface. It's the market leader and uh, Interface has changed its business model to produce a carpet that they actually rent so they are interested in sustaining that product. And at the same time, this carpet is not only carbon neutral, but even carbon negative. And I think this clearly shows that both is possible. So don't be afraid of, oh, if we want to become sustainable, then we are losing our market position. No, actually, both is possible. And if you're starting right now, you can even become, you know, a pioneer in the market because in the long run, we all have to become sustainable no matter what. This is the only way forward. If we want to sustain, or if we want to survive on this planet, and also if we want to... Um, yeah, if also in, in for the future generations to sustain this planet. Um, so I would like to thank you very much for that. Um, I would like to, if we're talking about marketing and a lot of this is about communication and how we get our message out there, isn't there a little bit of a danger in there as well? Like I said in the beginning, we're 
it's booming, yeah? The whole industry is suddenly turning sustainable. Everybody has a green product or a green collection or is changing something to become sustainable. And in the previous years, when I talked to the organizers of this conference, it was like, greenwashing is not a topic for us. We want everybody to be mainstream. We want everyone to come on board. But now for the first year, we feel like it is a topic. And we don't want all the sort of principles and ideas that we've been discussing here in the last years watered down. So let's start like taking that apart a little bit. Um, then we're now back in the now, by the way, <laughs> before we sort of circle back toward the end of the conversation to pick up on this, the, the um, factors you mentioned. What is causing this sudden boom? Why is everybody turning green right now? Flavor of the week. Um, <laughs> there's, yeah, it's unfortunately, especially in the fashion industry, you always need the new hook. And it's um, and as people look around, and possibly it's people's children, who are at Fridays for Future, or somebody told me today she's being retrained by her six-year-old son to change her ways. Um, people are always looking for something that sells, and I think we've had such a whirlwind of everything and nothing that um, they're just. I'm just hoping they. I, I'm hoping they don't ruin the. The marketing doesn't ruin the world word and take the meaning out of it and therefore I certainly hope that in in 10 years time the word won't be there. So then how do we sort of differentiate between good sustainability marketing or bad sustainability marketing? When is it real? How do we know? <laughs> what a can of worms. Um, you know, I think that that is, that's our concern. But if we look at it from a positive side, I want, I, I mean, I just kind of want to give a little bit of support to the fact that it's, it's good that everyone's interested in this. Yeah. You know, that, that there's such passion and interest and that we're even talking about what is greenwashing and, and, and you know, what is credibility and how we're communicating these things. Um, and I think it's, I'm sort of banging the same, the same message here, but for the companies that are selling these products or creating these products and communicating to customers, we don't have a consistent way to do that that is credible, that, is, um, that speaks about impact, and we know that and we're working on it. I mean, that is, that is for, um, for those of us that sit in companies at least and are sort of challenged every day even within the company to say, but like, we can't, we can't say that, that's greenwashing. I say, actually, we can. Here's, you know, here's how we're doing it. These are the actions. So, so it's a healthy, I think it's a healthy tension to be discussing this and to be questioning um, how credible is this. Uh, and we are accelerating as quickly as possible to be able to have these tools that are comparable across products. Um, but I actually, just before stopping speaking, I want to go back to your comment about transforming business. And I think that is absolutely what needs to be done. And the fact that we're talking about this is a signal that that is coming. That is very much the approach that we've taken with our, Zalando has taken with the new um, strategy that we launched in October. How we communicate all of this is a strong piece of that. Our goal is to transform our business model in a way that decouples environmental and social impact from our business uh, growth. And that is the holy grail, I think, for organizations. Um, so it's, I'm pleased to see so many people speaking up and, and trying to 
to untangle what this means for their organization. Can I, can I ask a question? And it's that basically in terms of finding this way of, of getting the criteria set, is this just a big boys game? Or what is, does this work only for our big manufacturers? Or what happens to all of the independents? Because if you look at Neonite, where it's, it's about a lot of not even medium-sized companies, but small companies, and they're facing completely different challenges because they're not, they don't have really control over their sourcing to the extent that a big company does. Absolutely. Um, I can give a little bit of the SAC insight, but I don't want to speak for the organization um, in total. It is a representation of over 180 um, brands and different parts of the value chain. So it's manufacturers, it's brands, it's retailers, and others. It is, um, there is a less of a representation of small and medium enterprises, but that is a focus area for the organization to develop tools that are scalable for all sizes of organizations. I want to, I, I have a, actually a couple of questions I want to ask you to dig a bit deeper, but I, I have a theory I want to put out there on, around the question of like, why is this, why is it becoming so loud now? Um, and I know you have a wealth of experience working for different um, companies in this field. So I sometimes feel, and I think this came out today also in some of the talks, that in Germany we have the situation that there are a lot of what we call mittelständische Betriebe, so like medium-sized companies, that have been sustainable from the get-go because it matches their company values or at least have had um, some form of um, sustainability um, as a value and a base for their company, but they don't talk about it because they're Mittelstand and they operate somewhere along the value chain and it's just kind of what they do. And now that we have a lot of this startup boom and startup culture and it's like you put yourself out there and you have to talk about things and you have to market things, it's just becoming louder. Uh, and maybe therefore we hear more in terms of marketing, especially coming up from companies that are a little bit in that startup um, field as well, like Zalando. Would you buy into this theory? The theory that there is a lot of organizations out there that have been operating sustainably but don't have a lot of credit? Well, no, they just don't make a lot of noise because it's not like what a German SME company usually does, but it is making a lot of noise and sort of marketing what you do and putting it out there is what a startup does. Um, so do you think that's also contributing to the rise of the topic and it becoming more of a marketing factor? I think there are a lot of a lot of factors in place. Um, not only are you know do we have cultural awareness being raised, and therefore you know we're hearing about this from consumers. Consumers are asking more, so therefore more companies are responding. Um, there might be certain areas where it's a trend to talk about sustainability, but again, that doesn't negate the importance of the topic or the importance of the work that's being done. I think it's a positive that, that on the whole, there is a broader conversation being had. Antonio, what is that like for you? Like you work for an organization that also consults companies and the kind of companies that are coming to you to seek advice. Do you see them changing or do you see them coming with different questions? Uh, the particular uh, situation of Portugal is very, very known. Um, we are integrated into the European Union. Uh, our level of uh, salaries is very high comparing with other countries. Yeah. And for this reason, um, um, the sustainability of this industry in Portugal depends on the capacity of, to innovate and to um, give to customers uh, more 
um, more more performance and so on. So sustainability for us at this moment is really an opportunity. Uh, if for this reason all the scientific and technology technology um, sector in Portugal is oriented to, to create new solutions for, for industry. In our case, um, I represent two research centers. The first one completely oriented to uh, um, uh, textile and clothing industries, and the other one related to materials, science, um, nanotechnology and smart materials in particular, um, with 50% of uh, its uh, activity oriented to textiles. Um, and we are working with all kinds, all sizes of industries. In my point of view, it's very rich to have uh, big uh, companies, medium-sized companies, small and micro companies working together. Why? Because sometimes it's easier to develop some technologies, some approaches inside a small company, but the big companies have the tractor effect. So, um, in certain cases, some technologies, some practices developed in a small company will affect a big company, and then the big company will tract all the medium-sized and small companies. This is very, very interesting. Of course, um, articulated as well with brands. Brands are, are crucial in this, in this point. Um, just to mention that uh, um, our impact don't, is not concluded at the end of the production. Um, our impact is also related to the maintenance of garment during all the life. And maybe the environment in impact of a t-shirt during use is similar to the impact to the production. So uh, we must not only uh, look for new materials and new processes, but as well products to be maintained easily in, in the future. Less water, less chemicals, less energy, of course. Um, for this reason, I, I'm, I think that um, we have this cultural effect from, from retailers and brands promoting sustainability, changing the mind of consumers, uh, changing the mind of industries as well. But at the end of the day, I think that we need more at education level. So that kind of, sorry, do you want, it goes back a little bit to what you were saying. Um, and I, I was made to think of, um, I read an article recently that explained really well how it was the industry and lobby efforts by the industry that got us to understand plastic as a waste material. So when plastic yogurt cups, for instance, and things like that were first introduced, people would wash them out and keep them because they would think it's a valuable resource. And only due to aggressive marketing campaigns, people were told, no, throw this out, it's waste. And that became a standard. Um, and that was, um, it's quite a straightforward process. Do we need to sort of, unlearning has become a sort of trend word in some of my, my areas of work. Do we need to start unlearning these things the industry has taught us? Um, I, I think, though, 
and I think industry has still uh, a big power. I think you know we should not wait until politicians are ready to give us the right framework because I have the feeling that some of us lean back and say, well, we just need to wait until we got the right framework. But in fact, we have to create it ourselves. For example, currently uh, we are making a bill or we, we, yeah, we work towards a bill that is not complete. We still have... Um, we, we produce... Uh, and don't uh, don't include the cost that goes to the environment, that goes to future generations. Um, so that means we have to internalize the, exter the external cost. But um, currently, politicians are way too slow to actually really uh, include that into um, in form of a tax, for example. Um, Yeah, so, so I think that industry has a big power and should become a role model in, in really being truly sustainable in that sense. But I, I think we do have to re-educate. I mean, you are the generation with power and as consumers, and it's your power as consumers or companies such as Zalando who were, try, who were part of that generation in trying to answer your needs of more, more, more now, now, now. At some point, that has to stop. It is unsustainable. And um, there is, that's a very hard thing to do, is to scale back. But I can only tell you that, quite frankly, having less is more fun. <laughs> It really is more fun. You can have a relationship to what you have. And then, I mean, I know this is a little bit banal, but like, I wonder what the audience part participation would look like if we ask who all has watched Marie Kondo or read a book and has tried to declutter their life in the last year. A huge trend, you know. People are picking onto that. That is the sign of the time. So it seems like it's kind of graspable, um, this consumer mindset, at least amongst a certain um, uh, yeah, dem demography of people who can afford it. Mm. Um, I want to I get to the topic of regulation a little bit. So in the um, announcement that Zalando made in October, one of the points was that you aim to get rid of single-use plastics in packaging by 2023, which is, uh, I think, yeah, that is around the corner. That is not a decade from now. Um, and I was really interested in reading this. Um, so allow me just to loop a little bit. Um, this year, the EU is introducing span of um, plastics in single-use things in straws, so in, in food items, cups, plastic plates, etc. A couple of years ago when plastic bags were made um, a non-free thing that you could give out, it was first in supermarkets and everything, and then retail stores followed. Did you look at what's happening in the EU in terms of spanning single-use plastic in the food industry and think, ah, we want to be ahead of time because this is coming to the clothing industry anyhow? Absolutely. Um, I think, <laughs> yes, uh, it's a nice storyline there. Uh, plastics are obviously a very top priority issue for our customer, and our packaging is the prime touch point for our customer with the Zalando brand. So we, we definitely see that as um, both uh, an opportunity, a huge challenge, that we have some ideas about what we need to do to get there, but we don't know how we're going to achieve that. The other half of that uh, public goal, actually, though, speaks to the redesigning of our, um, of our industry and multiple industries in that we are specifically looking at how to eliminate waste and keep resources in use, which are two out of the three principles of circularity that um, also 
uh, come from the same space where a lot of the the uh, beginnings of that plastic ban came from with the Ellen MacArthur uh, Foundation's report. So they've done one on the textile economy. And so a lot of our our efforts here in terms of moving towards a circular model and eliminating um, single-use plastics, we're looking at how do we eliminate waste, yes, but also how do we keep those resources in use. We're doing a pilot on a reusable packaging uh, pilot with Repack. Um, we're looking at other ways of um, how we can keep those resources in use and what are the ways that we can um, really address this and not just and, and be able to move from a, a linear system to a circular one where we are, um, like Rebecca has, has said, looking at cycles and circles of business models. How does that work with your partners? You have all your partner platforms, and when they send you their goodies that you then forward to the customers, they're most likely in single-pack plastic. Collaboration. So that's our. You know, we don't. We don't have the answer. I mean, I, I can't yeah. give you. I, I can't mean, give you the street. But that. Do you pressure? Put a little pressure on, or is anything happening from their end? Are they thinking in this? It is. Way? It is absolutely a shared target. There. I mean, so we just announced this in October, but in our conversations with our partners, a many of them have similar targets. And so they're also seeking opportunities for this, but they're also eager and willing to be a part of testing different models that can then address this issue. So, for instance, if we are doing a repack model right now on how we are in integrating a reusable packaging system, um, how can we do that with our partners so that, I mean, for instance, uh, H&M, we sell some H&M brands, they're also doing a test with repack. So how can we how can we do these together um, through collaborative solutions? I don't know all of the answers yet, but that's part of how we'll how we'll be doing that. Yeah, um, I think that um, circular economy um, don't reject recycling. Uh, I don't believe in industry and, uh, for instance, online sales without packaging. The point from my point of view is to understand how we can use some materials for packaging uh, that we can recycle and reuse the material uh, in the future. Second point is, okay, we have more problems with plastics than with paper. We have more problems with uh, oil-based plastic than with biomaterials, biopolymers, and so on. So the point is, we must change a little bit the way we use to pack our products. Because I think that in that case, we have solutions. We have solutions at material level, at uh, construction level, and so on, in order to have uh, a more sustainable way to pack. Sorry, you first, Rebecca? I think the solution, or no, let's start differently. I think one of the big problems of our society right now is our relationship to nature, which is, um, well, which is mainly characterized by domination towards nature. And I think the question shouldn't be what can we extract from nature, but what can we learn from nature? Because actually, all the solutions are there already, out there. You know, if you look at the living organisms, um, they've been 
it's they've been able to live on this planet for millions of years. And then look at our our history. We're destroying our own living at the basis of our own living. Um, and if we look more to nature and to look, try to to adapt to um, to their solution, I think then we can can be on the right track, because nature, you know, nature works with sunlight. Nature only uses the energy it really needs. Nature recycles everything and and don't produce any toxic. Uh, material at all so if we try to adapt more to, to the solutions that are there already then in my eyes this is truly sustainable You said earlier that we need more radical change and um, I'm wondering where you think that's going to come from because we talked a little bit about changing consumer mindsets and you also talked about, which I think is very interesting and very laudable, inputting your own policy ideas because the people whose job it is to write those policies are too slow. Um, where, yeah, do you, are you planning to do more of that or where do you think this more radical change is going to come from? Um, my favorite solution is that we uh, change the way how we measure our development. Um, I mean, humans always try to develop themselves, and that's natural, and that's okay. But we should not measure it with B B uh, GSDP, um, GIP anymore, but rather with, you know, how and how far are we actually contributing to the well-being of the whole society. And this could be like, and how far are we contributing to the achievement of the sustainable development goals? This can be, and how far are we contributing to happiness? I mean, there are several solutions out there already. Um, but in my ideal world would be where we only have companies that have been founded because they want to solve a problem and not because they want to contribute to it. But there's a huge gap between the now and that future. There's a big bad wolf out there, you know, also part of nature, unfortunately, human nature. Mm. But, um, I mean, I want to throw a worm out. I mean, shouldn't we be talking about partial sustainability, especially in the next 10 years? We talk about sustainability. If you look at the whole big picture, from fiber to end to end, it's almost um, paralyzing. There's, there's anyone who claims to be sustainable across the board. I would please um, tell me if I'm wrong, but I assume they're lying. I don't know if there's anyone in terms of our, our clothing world who could be possibly sustainable, know that they're being sustainable from start to finish. But what, what do you mean by partial? Because I personally feel, you know, if we look at that little triangle that we built for ourselves with the social, ecological, and economic yeah. sustainability, so far, obviously, the economic has overruled. We're beginning to talk about the um, ec ecological. Social is still sometimes sort of left out of the picture. So how, how partial should it be? I mean, I don't want to... Partial can also be positive in if we all decide that each of us as... Regard, as, as consumers and then also as working beings, try to, to pick one part of the chain somewhere that we can make a change. That's going to be different for every individual and for every company. The important thing is to start somewhere and to let it build. 
Um, this this change we're we're waiting for. I mean, it's you know I'm part of the Woodstock generation. Apparently, I heard yesterday the planets are lining up in a way that's similar to '68. <laughs> so maybe it's all going to come. You know, I mean, this, this could really happen. I'm going to use that. We have a session tomorrow on like intergenerational issues and the whole Okaboomer <laughs> thing. So I'm definitely bringing that in there. Um, but okay, well maybe one last uh, question. Um, do we not need other rules to speed up the game? Now, I've asked the question sort of a couple of times around regulation. We've mentioned the EU directive on like banning plastics, single use, etc. Uh, we've been having a lot of industry packs that are driven by the industry and they have helped change things. But do we not need a much clearer uh, regulation? You mentioned earlier research and development and money going into that. Um, do you see other points where there should just be a new rule set for how people build companies, how people do? Um, invest in innovation, etc. Um, um, yeah, uh, regulation is a very imp important point. But uh, again, regulation needs research. Mm -hmm. You know, in our sector nowadays, certification is more a business yeah. than a service to the humanity. Mm. You know. Um, I'm completely free to say that because I am in the business. <laughs> Um, but uh, I can assure you that um, dozens of researchers are nowadays in Europe trying to uh, identify the right metrics to measure uh, the impact of one product. And the topic is very, very, very complicated. Why? Because we cannot take a microscope to see a product and um, realize um, the characteristics in terms of sustainability of this product. Um, in order to evaluate that, uh, for instance, what is the impact? Is the same impact a T-shirt dyed in Portugal and Morocco? Of course not. Because the impact in the water availability in Morocco is different from the availability of water in the north of Portugal. So, um, when we take a look to all the chain from agriculture, or more, from the seed development, because OGM is a problem to solve, without OGM we must have pesticides, and so on. So, the, the, the system is so, so complex that is um, almost impossible at this moment to have uh, a methodology to, to classify the products in terms of sustainability. So, but without this kind of approaches, it's not possible to compare, it's not possible to have metrics to improve. I think that outside of research to develop new products, new materials and so on, the, the point of regulation based on scientific-based um, uh, criteria, uh, criteria to uh, evaluate is crucial in the next years. Do you envision... Oh, no, please go ahead. As the regulatory body, we've, we've seen how effective our effects at regulatory bodies have been in getting anything through. Who's regulating? No, Governments, EU, if it's the EU... Why not? 
Yeah, I, I mean, I don't care. I'm just wondering who it is. I have an example for you. Yeah. Um, till some years ago, the use of chemicals in Europe and the world was completely free. And at a certain point, the European Commission decided to control that. And this, at this moment, we have a completely different situation from the past. Um, we've to, I mean, I'm just going to recap a little bit some of the conversations of the day because we actually started out in the morning talking about the UN Charter for Climate Change and uh, the Sustainable Development Goals. And uh, then we took a little bit of a deep dive into the detox campaign um, led by Greenpeace. And, and so it seems like that, that, I think, has been a great example for things actually changing in the industry. We've sort of sketched across different mechanisms. So regulation by governments um, or multilateral or political entities entities like the EU, one thing, but these industry pacts or multi-stakeholder pacts, another thing. Um, maybe just as a little bit of a, how do you, if you are a private sector actor and you are already engaging in this, do you see regulation as a positive mechanism? How much of it do you want and from whom? <laughs> Every actor has to play their role across the board. That's consumers, that's, you know, private industry, that's government. Uh, they absolutely, we need everyone to play their role and act in the, um, and pull the levers that they have available. The level or the, the specific areas in which um, either the European, the, the commission or a global sort of organizing um, body would would play and affect us right now uh, i don't i don't have a specific example or a request what my request to those to the governments and and what our uh, position is right now is don't create something new <laughs> don't don't tell us again that there's hey we're going to go figure out how to measure this insanely complicated supply chain of of products on uh, what the sustainability impacts are because we've already sunk 10 years into an industry-supported um, tool that that is, um, you know, pieces of it are, are readily available and we have the momentum to do that and it's a great tool. So governments, please leverage what has been created and not go down another road of creating it. Um, but but leverage what is in place and don't uh, create a dupl duplication. Um, that is that is our. So we have a little bit more of please don't do these things and please and please uh, support the tools that have been developed in order to create consistency. For instance, we operate in 17 markets. We can't use one. Um, it doesn't. It doesn't behoove us to use one tool that was developed in a single market because the other 16 might not know what it is. So we're looking for those, um, those that consistency across the board, and we find that through our collaborations and our multi-stakeholder initiatives at the moment. Before we run out of time, I want to see if you have questions for the panel. So please give me a sign of hand if you do. If you want to come a little bit toward me, that would be lovely. Hello, my name is Jenny. Thank you first uh, for your opinions and for your insights. Uh, I found it quite interesting, especially in the beginning when you were asked how you um, imagine the world in sustainability in sustainable fashion to look like in 2030, um, especially the um, vision of Miss Heine from Salando. 
as you said, we need a consistent um, definition of su sustainability and what it means to be truly sustainable. Um, I have a, like the question how Zalando is contributing to like to convey this sustainable definition as for example now on Zalando on the platform or in your online shop you have the filter of um, sustainable products and if you turn it on for example on jeans you can also find Bershka or Pull&Bear Beer jeans for 20 euros which are labeled sustainable and I'm well in my opinion this is kind of conveying the wrong message to especially young people who don't have that big knowledge about sustainability And um, yeah, I wonder how this fits into your vision of like conveying a truly sustainable vision or a truly, truly um, yeah, like one definition of sustainability. Because now, like young people, especially, they would think, oh, I can buy a jeans for 20 euros from Bershka, which is labeled sustainable, which in fact is not really sustainable. Thanks, that's a great question. Are there any other questions? Um, do give me a sign of hand. Three, two, okay, one right at the back. <laughs> Do you want to come a little bit toward me as well? So we'll collect if that's okay and then give you opportunity to answer. Hi, um, my question is also towards uh, Zalando. Um, while I'm all for consistency um, across the industry and to use the same data, I was wondering who's going to control the SAC? If there's only one uh, instrument in the industry, how is that going to be checked if they are using the robust and right data. Thank you very much for that. One final question, anyone? Then do feel free to start answering as I walk back. <laughs> Happy to. Um, so the first question around uh, what is Zalando doing today in terms of communicating sustainability of products? Um, actually, I would, I would uh, reference something that was said earlier around there is no such thing as a sustainable product today. Um, we agree with that. What we are able to communicate today is a, a flag on products like you identified that actually specifies that that product has one or more, more sustainable attributes about it. And you can read the further description of what that might be on the product page itself. We identify what the certification is, what the third-party certification is with that product, and we have a link to further information about what um, certifications or improvements we uh, leverage, so third-party uh, organizations that we leverage today to flag um, what a more sustainable product is. Now, is it perfect? No. But it is what we have today in order to communicate that. We have over 24,000 um, products on the fashion store, in the fashion store, that with this flag, but I hope that in my vision of the future, this kind of leads to the second piece, it was clear that we're looking for, and there does not exist today, but we are part of developing a consistent way to measure sustainable impacts in the supply chain and production of these products, and a way to communicate that to our customer. But in the absence of that, we are using what we have which are third-party certifications that address either a material improvement or a production improvement for the products that exist. So we, what we have today, I think, is a fantastic start. Our target is that by 2023, so in three years, uh, we will have 20% of our GMV or our sales are actually made up of those products. 
So that is a significant undertaking and push for a company as large as Zalando to say that 20% of our sales are going to come from those more sustainable products, um, which I hope gives a, um, the, the strength of our commitment in that space in order to be able to bring this to market, because that's what our customers are looking for. May I stress an expression? Uh, congratulations, because she said more sustainable products. We don't have sustainable products at this moment. So this is the right way. More sustainable. The more sustainable products nowadays will be not sustainable in the near future because we have to improve and to have more, more and more sustainable products. Congratulations. Part of your idea of partial, partial sustainability, sustainability that you introduced earlier. Stars, you know, <laughs> 1.2 points, <laughs> Excellent. I'm afraid um, now we're going to embark on our little closing round. So um, we've talked about a lot of different things and kind of sketched out different uh, mechanisms that we want to see to move toward true sustainability and to make sure this term doesn't become a shell, but is actually something filled with substance. Um, so let's attempt just a little wrap-up and closing round um, from each of us. Maybe we'll start this way around this time, so you're not always first. Um, so, uh, if you want to recap from your side, you know, the actual sustainability, um, the path toward your future self, your one piece of advice that you want to leave everyone with today after this panel discussion um, of the next steps for moving from we have no sustainable products, which is quite an extreme statement that we're ending the day with today. I hope you're all using Twitter and everything, putting all these statements out there. Um, <laughs> to actual sustainability? Um, well, um, as we are already in the sustainable 2030, um, I would like to ask you back the question, what will you be able to tell your kids when they're going to ask in 2030, well, what have you done in order to save that humanity crisis? Because that's what it is currently, even though we don't, don't feel it yet. But actually, this is the biggest crisis that humankind is in. So what will you tell your kids in 10 years' time? Um, what have you done in order to, for the solution? And um, I'm just trying to motivate you here to not lean back and just uh, uh, wait for, for the rules and regulations and frameworks um, that will come from politi politicians because, unfortunately, they are way too slow. Um, and um, I want to end by uh, an observation that I've made, made downstairs. I was walking through the exhibition and I met one, uh, one German brand um, that is actually producing the first local jeans in Germany. And usually they're selling the products through an online shop, but they're saying, no, this, uh, we're going back to local and these jeans will be only be sold in shops. Uh, in the local area. And I think this is actually the way forward. We should stop this crazy globalization of, you know, producing one T-shirt and it has traveled around all the world, but just trying to go back to, to local circumstances, local people, local expertise. Thank you very much, Rebecca. Melissa? I'm going to go back a little bit. Um, I believe that good design is in itself sustainable insofar as we will then cherish it, use it, and hopefully in good design you'll also be paying attention to what the pieces are made of. 
Um, when I say I'm going to go back, I'm going to go back to a quote by William Morris, who founded the arts and crafts movement in the Victorian age, and who was upset that handcraft was going down the, down the drain at that point. I can only imagine what he'd think now. But he said in terms of, of he was an interior, he did um, design for interior, he did everything. He was a printer, you name it. But he said, do not have anything in your home that you do not know to be beautiful or useful. And in switching that to our apparel choices, I would just urge all of us, before you buy something, just think, do not buy anything that you do not love or really need, or simply need. But we should have some pleasure in all of this as well. So just make sure you love what you buy, and you'll probably have it a long time. I didn't know where that quote came from, but I, I actually use that for my own home as well. I love it. Oh, really? Thank you for that. You're welcome. I try as well. Um, yes, on top of that, of course, we are trying to, to identify the movement of society and the societal changes uh, for the future. Um, uh, I'm, I'm optimist uh, in terms of the capacity to develop new, new, new industrial technologies to help this movement. I'm really confident that uh, in 10 years um, um, time, um, the situation in terms of uh, uh, industrial transformation will be really, really different. Uh, so I think that from one part, the societal part of the movement and the industrial and research development part will reach um, uh, 2030 uh, better and better than now. Thank you. So, uh, so I will actually take your original um, and transform my, my first point to say there are no sustainable products in the future because everything is, is more sustainable and better and we have a better way of communicating that. So I'm excited that that is where we are in 2030. And I think that uh, just how we can all get there together is through these multi-stakeholder initiatives that actually um, have outlined, because this is something that's been growing over the last number of years, have outlined the pieces that we know we need to address. So how are we measuring and communicating? the SAC. If you're looking for a way to participate, speak with them tomorrow, they'll be here. Um, how are we bringing new technologies to this story? Uh, the way that Zalando is participating is through the Fashion for Good. This is a program and a space in Amsterdam that is bringing um, a lot of new technologies, etc., to market. A lot of you probably know about it. Um, and how are we as brands and as fashion companies uh, coming together around a lot of these topics. We do that through our partnership with the Global Fashion Agenda, GFA. So there, there are spaces where industry is organizing and has identified the key levers that we need to change to get to this beautiful place in 2030. And we're looking for the solutions to get that. Those are the, the, some of the, the three main spaces where we're playing and looking for participation and collaboration. Thank you all so much. What a rich closing round with a lot of pointers and ideas. I'd really like to say a big thank you to all of you in the audience who've listened so attentively and asked great questions throughout the day. And a big, big thank you to our panelists.